Hello, and welcome to Building Local Power, a podcast dedicated to thought-provoking conversations about how we can challenge corporate monopolies and expand the power of people to shape their own future. For more than 45 years, the Institute for Local Stuff Alliance has worked to build thriving, equitable communities where power, wealth, and accountability remain in local hands. You might be thinking, this isn't Jess. It's not. Jess is now leading communications for the Midwest Climate Adaption Science Center, we just wanted to say thank you, Jess, for your dedication and integral voice to this podcast. My name is Reggie Rucker, and I'm the new communications director at ILSR and co-host for Building Local Power. Now, when I say co-host, that means I have somebody else who needs to introduce themselves. Luke? Hi, everyone. My name is Luke Gannon, and I am a communications and research associate here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm super excited to be working with Reggie to produce and co-host this podcast. And I would also like to give a shout out to Jess, who was an amazing asset to the ILSR team already in this last month. I have missed her immensely, but the Midwest Climate Adaptation Science Center is really lucky to have her. But without further ado, we have a big topic today, so let's dive right in. Today on the show, we are asking our guests, how is composting combating the climate crisis? Right now, we are experiencing the glaring implications of climate change firsthand. Last year, we saw wildfires rage across the West Coast, and we are starting to see it again. Warming ocean temperatures are killing off species. Just to name one recent event in the news, both Yellowstone National Park and Glacier National Park are flooding, which is due to extreme weather shifts driven by climate change. So as we can see, the consequences of climate change are devastating. And in order to alter these realities, we must drastically reduce global carbon emissions and most importantly, modify our practices to be more responsive to the world around us. So it's interesting. I'm, you know, I'm really glad we're having this conversation today. I was doing a little bit of reading and I came across this article and it talked about what cities are doing to combat climate change. In Phoenix, in LA, in Miami-Dade County, they've actually established these chief heat officers. In some of these cities, they're installing cooling and misting centers and hydration stations, planting trees for extra shade. And they're experimenting with these sort of these quote unquote high tech solutions like sealants and reflective coatings for sidewalks, streets and rooftops. And then some of them are updating their building codes with new green criteria. So there are all these efforts to combat climate change. But one of the things that I didn't really hear anything about was composting, how composting could play a role in combating the climate crisis. But that is going to change today with us to discuss how composting can play an important role in combating the climate crisis, our colleagues and esteemed composting educators, Brenda Platt, Director of the Composting for Community Initiative, and Linda Bilsons Brolis, who's the Senior Project Manager for the Neighborhood Soil Rebuilders Program. So welcome to the show, Brenda and Linda. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So I was thinking, actually, Brenda and Linda sounds like you need a buddy flick of some sort. Like, I, and I think a buddy composting movie would beat Spider-Man and all, like, yeah, just be a blockbuster of the summer. So I'll let you have that. I'll let you have that if you ever want to get into a, a different career. Thanks. I do take it as a compliment if I ever get called Brenda by mistake. Okay, yes. yeah. some, some of our colleagues call us the Endas. I like it. I like it. Superheroes, right? <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm going to dive right in with our first question. 
Brenda, can you tell us what is composting? Well, let's start with compost. So, you know, some people they hear about compost, they think it's soil. It's not exactly soil. It is a soil amendment and it's a living soil amendment. So it's full of beneficial microbes and it's rich in something that we call organic matter. Many of us who work in compost, we like to call it black gold. And the comp composting, how you make compost, it's a biological process. So if we control certain conditions in the process, the materials are gonna decompose quicker into that black gold. So just to be clear, and this is the connection to climate too, is composting is an aerobic process. That means it needs oxygen to work. And when it goes anaerobic in starved oxygen conditions like you have in a landfill, then you're producing methane. And that's what we don't really see in well-operated sites. We avoid methane, but in a landfill, starved oxygen conditions when we throw our food scraps and our yard trimmings and other organic materials in the landfill we're producing methane it's a highly potent greenhouse gas that's the summary i don't know linda if you want to add to that i mean i guess it kind of leads me into composting avoids methane emissions from landfills but it also creates a product that helps to sequester carbon Carbon sequestration is something that people may have heard about. It sounds really fancy, but essentially what it refers to, it has to do with carbon being an essential building block of the world that we live on and photosynthesis, which is what plants do by taking, by consuming carbon dioxide from the atmosphere so that they can grow. And in that process, they take carbon and bring it down into their roots they kind of bring it into their plant bodies, bring it into their roots, and then they exude these carbohydrates or sugars that attract the beneficial soil microbes. So through this process, we're basically pumping carbon into the soil. And the healthier your soil is, the more it's able to hold on to carbon, the more carbon it's able to hold on to, and the longer it can hold on to it. So it, it, that's the simple way of thinking about it. Awesome. Thank you, Linda. Yeah, that's super interesting. I also didn't know the terminology black gold for compost, which I really like. I love that. So Linda, can you talk a little bit about how composting enhances soil quality? Brenda mentioned it briefly, but I want to dive a little deeper into that. So when you think of healthy soil, you might think of something dark and crumbly, smells like good, healthy earth. Uh, compost provides these things to the soil. Basically, compost is providing something called organic matter, and that allows soil to hold on to water, which is great. When it rains, then it can really put that water to use. If there's lots of rain, it, can, it has the ability to hold more of it, and this allows soil to kind of combat flooding where it's not as susceptible to flooding. And then also if it's able to hold on to water when things get dry, if it doesn't get rain for a while, uh, then it has a resource to tap from. So it's great for both ends of the spectrum there, but it also basically compost helps create a healthy living condition for all those beneficial soil microbes that Brenda hinted at earlier. And all those microbes are basically what help plants do what they do. And yeah, they help protect the plants so that they can continue to grow. I don't know if you have anything to add, Brenda. I'll just say, I mean, there's so many, it's all about the soil when it comes to compost. I mean, you know, if you're producing compost, 
one way or another, it's going to end up back in the soil. So all of the, it has so many soil benefits. In addition to adding organic matter and helping increase the water holding capacity, enhances soil structure, it suppresses plant disease, it improves something called cation exchange capacity, which is the ability of soil to retain nutrients. And so it helps the plants and the things we're eating be more nutritious too. So just endless benefits to the soil. And when it comes to climate, healthy soils are increasingly recognized as one of the key tools at our disposal to combat climate disruption and climate chaos. So we need healthy soils. So much of the, the dialogue is focused on let's cut in greenhouse gas emissions, let's cut fossil fuel use. All of that is really important, but we also need to create these carbon sinks and we need to build healthy soils and compost is really a, gonna be a key part of that. I'm curious about the, the scale at which sort of the, this solution is, is applicable. And so like, you know, I'm originally from California and I think about mudslides that'll happen along those freeways. Like, is there composting that sort of could take place in areas like that, that would sort of help mitigate those types of effects or, or yeah, what, like what type of environment would this solution be helpful? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, the answer is yes. One of the biggest growing markets for compost is in a field called green infrastructure. So green infrastructure is things like, you know, green roofs with living plants or bioswales, which handle stormwater, but they're full of living plants or rain gardens. And on steep highway embankments that are very susceptible to the soil erosion and mudslides you mentioned, one of the best management practices for controlling soil erosion on steep highway embankments and the like is putting uh, compost blankets on them. And when you blow the compost on those steep embankments, they'll have the native grass seed in them. So you're actually growing this living wall, if you will. And so, yeah, there's a huge market for green infrastructure and that's, you know, green infrastructure replaces, you know, the gray concrete walls and pipes and things. So we're kind of beginning to emulate our native landscapes. Compost can also be used in reclaiming disturbed sites in general. So like a old mine that's closed down, you can apply compost. Compost basically just allows plants to grow. It helps plants grow and plants are what help to rebuild the landscape and help absorb any extra water and healthy soil. And like that's what's been amended with compost helps to filter water. So it actually improves water quality too. So there's lots of benefits to improving disturbed landscapes. Including land that's been harmed by the wildfires. Caltrans, which is the Department of Transportation Agency in the state of California, has done studies using compost on fire damaged lands to help it come back to life. And lots of positive research and impacts of using compost. And we might not generally think about urban, like cities, city landscapes as disturbed sites, but it very much true. Whenever you build something, you're compressing the soil. So a lot of community gardens are actually based in places where things don't readily grow. And so you need to import soil and being able to compost locally just helps reduce input costs because you can help create something that you would otherwise have to buy to help improve your soil to grow. Yeah, this is so interesting. This is making me think about 
these big catastrophes that we often think are unsolvable. And so I'm curious how you guys measure within your own gardens, how you feel like you are, you know, making an impact within this larger frame of the climate crisis. You know, I feel so privileged to be able to work in this space because, you know, if we're lucky, all of us are getting three meals a day. So we're having that food scraps pass through our hands. And, and one of the, the beauties of composting is that it can be small scale in people's backyards or a worm bin in a classroom, on farm, urban areas, community gardens, school gardens, urban farms, all the way to large scale industrial sites, right? So, and everything in between. So composting can, is inherently local. And so everybody can do it. And if you can't do it, I mean, I have two worm bins in my basement. I have a hot bin outside, Luke. So I'm, and I, to the chagrin of my family, I am weighing every food scrap as it comes out of my house. I've been doing that for years. So I'm also lucky. I'm in one of the communities that has curbside collection of food scraps. And we're a family of four. And I, we are composting at home about 74% by weight. And that's really only fresh fruit and, and vegetable scraps. So I don't put any of the bones or meat or cooked science projects left over in our, <laughs> my backyard. So it's, it's actually quite a lot that you can do at home if you have the space and you're one of, you know, uh, living in a house that you like to garden and if you use for compost and you want to not buy the compost anymore. And I'll just say, I think we've become so good in many of our communities collecting our yard trimmings, our fall leaves, that we're going to find our actual backyards are starved of that organic matter. I mean, why do we think the trees lose those leaves? It's supposed to nourish the trees, right? So I live in the Mid-Atlantic area and a lot of our mature trees are very stressed because of climate disruption. Well, we're not really doing a good job of protecting our suburban urban trees by keeping that organic matter within our own urban and community soil. So, you know, if you can do it at home, great. It's not that hard. There's lots of home composting trainings available. We'll put in our show note, notes the, the link that we have to our home composting. But don't feel like you need to do it either if you're interested in home, home composting. You can contact your local public works department, recycling coordinator, elected official, and say you want curbside collection, or you want a drop-off site, or you want a training program. So you can advocate for these programs within your own community. And the great thing is that you don't necessarily have to do it yourself. You can, there are entrepreneurs working in this space that provide uh, services to come collect food scraps from your house. So you'd be supporting a local business in that way. And there are community composting projects that are based at local, at schools or community gardens or urban farms where you can get involved. So there are lots of opportunities. It doesn't just have to be in your own backyard. Um, so that's all, yeah, that's all just like really fascinating. I, I think there's something about that, that concept of thinking about how, when we want a pretty yard, then, you know, we'll clean up the leaves. And, but like when we're sort of obsessing over how something looks, we're losing a lot of the value in sort of what nature is trying to provide to us. And so, yeah, I, I love that idea of composting, sort of bringing back the, the, the nutrients and the things that nature is, is trying to give us. And we just, yeah, so we can, we can help um, foster some of that a little bit. We will be right back after a very short break. 
As an organization seeking the end of corporate control in local communities, you'll understand why our commercial break sounds a little different. There's no corporation selling you something in an ad. Just me thanking you for listening to our show. And if you're enjoying this episode, whichever you've made it this far, I'm assuming you are, I hope you'll consider heading over to ILSR.org donate to help support our work. Your donations not only make this show possible, but you're also helping support our work across all of our programs to build local power communities across the country. So please, we would be so appreciative if you could head over to ILSR.org backslash donate to contribute today. Any amount is sincerely appreciated. And if you're looking for additional ways to support, please rate or leave a review of the show over at Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast. These reviews make a huge difference in helping us reach a wider audience. Okay, that's our break. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. I wanted to pivot a little bit, and maybe I'll start with you, Brenda, on this. So there's this equity component of sort of climate change and solutions to climate change that sometimes may get overlooked. And as I was doing a little bit of researching, uh, sort of getting ready for this conversation, there were some obvious elements that were that were sort of brought to attention where low-income people tend to suffer the most from these localized effects of climate change since they're more likely to lack AC or work outdoors. There is a study from the American Geophysical Union, and they, they pointed out this widespread race and class disparity sort of in these urban heat islands. And I, it's, this made me think about a book that I read a couple of years ago. It's Eric Kleinenberg, Palaces for the People. And so he opens with this anecdote of 1995 Chicago, there's this heat wave and there were sort of somewhere in the neighborhood of seven, 800 excess deaths. And, but what he was pointing to was it wasn't necessarily neighborhoods that had concentrated levels of poverty or violence, but it actually were these neighborhoods that lacked a type of social infrastructure, whether they're like libraries or parks or just like places where people can come together. So like, as I was thinking about all of those things and sort of how, yeah, like there are these disproportionate impacts that the climate, that climate sort of change is, is having, I'm, I'm wondering how sort of composting as a practice plays into any of that. Like how, how does that give us an opportunity to bring greater equity to, to the effects of climate change? Yeah, lots of opportunities here. And I'm so glad you raised the equity issue. First, let me just say that waste historically has been an environmental justice issue. I think my colleague, Neil Seldman, coined the word uh, term waste imperialism, that we're you know, dumping our waste on areas of least pol political resistance, whether it's you know, the garbage barges on Haiti from the mm. 80s, or you know, in our urban areas where trash incinerators get built. The largest trash incinerator was in Detroit, predominantly African-American community. There's a trash incinerator in Baltimore that ILSR with others has been working to close down as an example. And then taking the urban heat island effect in, in Baltimore, there's been some studies on that. And by the way, let me just say that what Reggie's referring to there is when the temperature in a metropolitan area is significantly hotter than surrounding areas because of the urban development, you know, materials like concrete and asphalt, which are replacing natural vegetation. So it's like a city is what they call the concrete 
you know, jungle, you know, where the, the sidewalks are absorbing the sun's heat and emitting it back, right? And so take a city like Baltimore, which again is the home of one of the largest trash incinerators in the country and is repeatedly ranked for poor air quality and the worst urban heat among US cities. And I think there was a study done a few years ago that showed that the heat island impacts were predominantly in African-American and low-income neighborhoods of East Baltimore, where on a hot day, the average temperatures were in the high 90s and reaching you know, above 100 degrees. And in contrast, the temperatures were in the low 90s in the more affluent and greener areas of Baltimore. You know, And so where this connects to green infrastructure and the use of compost is direct. So, you know, those neighborhoods have a lower tree canopy than the other more affluent neighborhoods. So can you plant more trees? Well, then you need planting beds for those. If you have organic matter like compost added, there's, you're giving those trees a better chance of surviving and thriving, right? So there's been a big movement to plant more tree canopy to deal with this heat island effect and compost being directly related to healthy soils is a key, key part of that. And so, and then, you know, let me just say too that for the composting itself, one of the things that we work on here at the Institute for Local Suffering Alliance is, like I said before, there's no one way to do composting, but often cities think, oh, I need a 50 acre site out of town to build my composting facility. Well, you may need a large facility. Maybe you don't. Maybe you can scale up a distributed decentralized infrastructure. So one of the things we're promoting is, giving people home composting bins, setting them up for success, setting up empty lots to create neighborhood gardens and urban farms and having composting be an accessory activity that brings neighbors together to do this common work, you know, building the social fabric of growing food, engaging the youth. It's some of the sites that uh, we've been working with in the DC metro area in Baltimore, where they've converted these sites that had drug dealers and now they're growing food and they're having youth come in and they're doing composting. I mean, this is how we get people in part engaged in composting when they can directly see the benefits to their communities and the compost is coming back to build their healthy soils. So equity is really important here when it comes to how we're handling our waste so we're not dumping on disadvantaged at-risk communities and at the same time giving, employing them, creating jobs and creating greener businesses and then dealing with these, you know, climate disruption and chaos which is only going to get worse if we don't address these issues. That's really, that's really powerful, especially, I mean, yeah, that idea of just seeing the community rally around something that's going to benefit the community and, and yeah, just seeing the community, you know, live in their power around that. That's, yeah, that's a really, that's a really special thing. Linda, I wanted to bring you into this if I could and sort of, so what Brenda was mentioning I, was a lot of Sort of, it sounded like community-led initiatives, but I'm wondering if, if you can point to any sort of specific city, county initiatives where they are being intentional about sort of providing resources or partnering with the community in, in, a, in a really intentional way to create a sort of a more climate-friendly community using composting as, as, a, as a key tool. Well, I can point to, at a state level, an example in California, a program that I looked at quite a bit in the last few years, that's a great example of what can happen 
when a state connects healthy soils with the farmers in their state, they, they provide those farmers with financial support to implement the practices that, that improve soil quality. In California, there's the Healthy Soils Program, and essentially it's funded through the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund. And so farmers who want to participate in this program can apply and they can get financial resources to basically implement healthy soils practices like uh, applying compost. And applying compost is actually by far the most in, uh, popular of the practices is you could also be doing cover crops and planting hedgerows and all these other things that farmers can do. But I think this is a, a great example of what I wish we could be doing elsewhere in the country. It's taking money and supporting our farmers and doing what a lot of farmers would like to be doing, but maybe don't have the funds to get started. Yeah, and California is probably one of the, the states that has really recognized the connection between healthy soils, the role of compost, and the role of farmers in, in using compost. So a shout out to California, which we could replicate some of these programs in other parts of the country. We'll get there. I'll just say, you know, at the city level, there's a number of examples. I wish we could point to one city and say, that's the model, everyone. But of course, you have to integrate the best features of many great programs out there. And just because we were talking about the heat island impact, I'll just say that New York City has been probably the leader in supporting a network of, of community scale composting sites. And they one of the, the foundations of that program is actually their master composter training program. So a lot of the graduates of that program have gone on to start these amazing community composting programs. But the compost that's produced from that network of more than 200 sites is going into plant trees and other things and improving the tree canopy that we were just talking about. And they've done some studies on that too. So New York City's great. Jersey City's doing some good things. Philadelphia, shout out to Philadelphia Parks and Recs has started a community composting network. DC Parks and Recs is, has 56 community compost sites. They found at their community gardens that they were managing or helping to manage that they were buying soil amendments like mulch and they realized hmm, maybe we could be making our own compost so now people who get trained drop off their fruit scraps and that kind of program has been replicated in other parts of the u.s and so we're seeing seeing that grow i also just want to mention alameda county which is in california maybe your hometown area reggie i was, I was actually born in oakland and grew up in alameda so that that is my hometown there you go yeah. well one of the the public agents there agency there, Stop Waste, is doing lots of great things on cutting waste in a, a wide range of activities, but they, they have a goal of zero waste. And one of the unique things that they have is they have, and this is really important, is funding, right? Follow the money. If this is important, invest in it, right? You know, build the infrastructure, fund these programs, and Alameda County is doing just that. And where does the money come from? Well, they have a surcharge on the waste flowing to the local landfill. And that per ton surcharge is funding their zero waste programs, including composting. So part of their grants that they're doing is, is they're doing public composting education, they're expanding local access to compost, and they're using compost in landscaping. So that's just, you know, shout out to Alameda County. There's a lot going on. San Mateo County, also in California, is doing something similar. 
on the East Coast, the city of Albany has recently started supporting community scale composting with partnerships and their partners are community composters in communities with environmental justice issues and so they're you know creating jobs and involving those partners in the process of collecting the food scraps and making the compost and then the soils going back to the community so there's lots going on around the country in this space that should well, give people hope <laughs> so i've been in dc for just coming up on about a year and Every time I hear California shout it out, I love it. So this whole conversation has been worth it just to hear all the California shout outs. So th thank you both. Gosh, well, I feel like I have so many questions from your answers to that previous question. But one of my questions that I'm, I'm going to return to, which is something that I'm really interested in, is how do you change the mentality around these issues, like whether it's composting or the climate crisis, as an example, because to me, it feels like we can do these practices and we can have these amazing, you know, solutions, but until you get a broader, more people on board and change how people think about these solutions and think about these topics, it's hard to actually get there. So I'm curious just what you guys think about that and how you both feel like you are changing that mentality through composting. This is such a important question. And I think it starts with connecting the dots here, understanding the connections between our, our wasting culture, you know, whether it's food scraps or single use plastic bottles, disposable food service where one of my pet peeves and climate disruption and chaos i mean we can't just continue to consume materials unfettered consumption for every ton of waste we put at the curb for trash collection there's 70 tons upstream from mining and transportation so waste is the climate crisis is directly connected to how we consume materials but it's also something we can do a lot about you know we can reduce waste we can take personal responsibility sure but i'm a big fan of, of policy and paradigm changes i think understanding the connection of food scraps to climate and methane emissions from landfills and then if you make compost it's going to you know act as a carbon sink in the soils and it builds community resilience and all these things we've been talking about maybe that's first that awareness but then we have to convince our policymakers we have to be active citizens not just consumers i hate the term consumers we have to activate our citizen muscle and it doesn't have to be a heavy lift so those of you listening say oh my god policy no you know <laughs> well don't worry about it just you know make a one call to your local city council rep they actually want to hear from you you don't have to run for office we want you to run for office but you don't have to do that to make change but you know call them let them know this is important to you and and sometimes with the policy, yeah, maybe there's a, you know, there's a state policy or a city ban or, but if you're on, even on a city that's on a shoestring budget, they can do something. Can they 
pass a law, you know, we did this in Maryland, by the way, this example was in Maryland passed a law last year that just said, if you're in a homeowners association complex, you have the right to compost in your backyard or to subscribe to a food scrap collection service provider. Like just get out of the way, you know? <laughs> You know, don't prevent me from doing these things. Or in Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia passed a bill a few years ago called the Home Composting Incentives Act, which set up a rebate of $75. So if you took a home composting training program, you could then get $75 off the purchase price of buying a home composting bin. That's not a lot of money for a city to do to do a training program or to make it easier for people to do the right thing. And, and buying compost is also an easy lift for a city or a state or a business, you know, that's using soil amendments. So if you have a green purchasing policy in your city, can they include buying compost to amend their local soils? Well, that'll drive the market. We used to say, or we still say in the recycling world, if you're not buying back recycled content products, you're not closing the recycling loop. So the same thing's true for composting. So I think there's lots of ways people can get involved, lots of things that cities can do and elected officials. And it doesn't have to be everything at once. You can start somewhere. There's just no excuses anymore. Well, compost being something that you can start doing today is really empowering in the sense that you don't have to wait for somebody else to do something. You can start a compost pile in your backyard if you have one. If you don't, you can look at starting a worm bin, or you can find other people in your community that are composting and meet other people that are interested in, you know, in keeping their food waste out of the landfill and all that. So that's one way that it's empowering. But over the time that I've been at ILSR, seeing what magic can happen when you bring together people into like a backyard composting class or a community composting class, the connections that get made in those classes, it's really been amazing to watch the evolution over many years. Some people who went through our very first neighborhood soil rebuilders composter training program back in 2014, they've gone on to start their own businesses, consulting on starting on-site composting infrastructure, or they've gone on to start their own food scrap collection companies. I mean, there's it's amazing because it all comes down to a few weeks together where we shared our geeky love of compost. And now people have gone on to change their lives, life trajectories because of that. And we obviously can't take credit for all of that. It's just, we're all kind of in this ecosystem together and we can kind of like support each other on our journeys. And when all the different skills that people bring to, you know, a community project, we need people who are doing lots of different things, lots of different skills uh, to come together and you never know what's going to happen. You might, you know, somebody might end up running for, you know, a local government of, uh, position or they might just go on to start their own company. It's really just beautiful to see what happens. Yeah, I love that answer. Thank you, Linda. I, I totally agree. I think we don't know how many people, how far our reach is. You know, word of mouth really means a lot. And the changing of one person's trajectory often means the changing of many people's trajectory. So I think that's a wonderful answer. So Brenda, I just, I do, I love that whole concept of just like start where you are. And as long as you can sort of frame it in that lens of just starting where you are and doing something, 
um, the rest will build on itself. And so, yeah, that's an, an incredibly powerful message to take away from this. I think the last thing we wanted to get to is sort of a question I hear, I, I hear a lot. It's always one of my favorite questions though, because I mean, it's something that can pull anybody sort of into some next steps. And so curious from you, what is a a book that you've read, maybe it's an article, maybe it's a podcast. What is something that just resonated with you that has really sort of influenced the, the work that you're doing today? I can never just give one answer to these yeah. questions. I apologize, but I just want to start with a book that influenced me many years ago, even when I was still in college. Small is Beautiful by mm. E.F. Schumacher. I think it was written in the 70s. And it's not just because I'm under five feet tall, <laughs> but uh, it's really a book about advancing kind of small scale. At that time, the term was appropriate technologies and policies as a superior alternative to kind of the mainstream ethos of bigger is better. And I read that before I joined ILSR, but it had a profound impact on me and the work I do and really aligned with my goals. When it comes to composting, this is where the other answer is, I would say the book that's been the most influential to me in the composting realm is a book that's been around for a few decades called the On-Farm Composting Handbook. And you know, it's not just for on-farm composters, but it really just makes it so easy to understand what composting is and how to do it. And it's not rocket science, but there is some science behind it. Like you need oxygen and air, like I said, you need moisture, you need the right recipes. Not hard, but once you learn this stuff, I mean, I took a composting course maybe 15, 18 years ago where I learned like, oh, you need oxygen. Well, okay. And man, I just drank the Kool-Aid and I never turned back. Well, I got into composting because I wanted to I wanted to be able to grow my own food. And so I've always come to composting from that perspective. And so Elliot Coleman's book, The Four Season Harvest, is something that I think a lot of people who are gardeners or farmers will know. And I think just seeing how it fits into other practices that you can do at your home to produce food for yourself and your family. And then right now, a book that I'm really geeking out about which also in the vein of uh, food production, the no-till organic vegetable farm by Daniel Mays of Frith Farm. And they're such an example of what a regenerative farm looks like. So it's pretty exciting to me. Awesome. Yeah, it's one of my favorite questions at the end of episodes too, just to know that I'm going to the library, finding that, reading it. It's very exciting. Yeah, actually, one of the reasons why we wanted to pose this question is because then it gives us an opportunity to send people to their local bookstores and pick up these books. So it just, yeah, brings this whole thing full circle. Yeah. So with that, Brenda and Linda, we're going to thank you both for your time. It was great to have you on here. And yeah, having us sort of get a sense of how composting is, you know, I think for me personally, I've been doing everything I could on my part, sort of just individually to try to reduce the amount of waste that I produce and what I buy and the things I consume. Whenever I thought about composting, I felt like it was a thing that was one, a little too big for me to sort of tackle and never really sort of thought about it as a solution to climate change. It was really just like a thing I thought was the right thing to do. And so having this conversation was incredibly enlightening. So yes, thank you for, for sharing all of, all of the wisdom. 
Yeah, thank you both so much, Brenda and Linda. A year ago now, since I joined ILSR and reading about your resources on the composting page, I have learned an incredible amount and I just feel so lucky to be working with both of you. And now I have kind of become like the crazy person if going to other people's houses and they're not composting, I'm like, why aren't you composting? <laughs> so thank you both so much. Thanks for joining us, you two. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Building Local Power podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. You can find links to everything discussed today by going to ILSR.org and clicking on the show page for this episode as ILSR.org. And while you are at ILSR.org, you can sign up for one of our many newsletters and connect with us on social media. We hope you will also take the opportunity to help us out with a gift that helps produce this very podcast and supports the research and resources that we make available for free on our website. Finally, we ask that you let us know how we are doing with a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcast. This show is produced by my amazing colleague, Reggie Rucker, and me, Luke Gannon. This podcast is edited by Drew Birschbach. Our theme music is Funk Interlude by Dysfunctional. And that's it. I hope you'll join us again for our next episode of Building Local Power. Have a good day.